Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of the Front Office Podcast, Sean and I talk more NBA, and we talk about his hometown Chicago Bears. We talk about the play-in tournament and MVP and Rookie of the Year awards. Welcome to another episode of the Front Office Podcast. It's Derek Dawson and Sean Gantworker. Uh, the dream team is, is what we've been called. Uh, Sean, what's going on with you, brother? Uh, I, am, I am doing good. I, uh, I was shocked, you know. I was looking at the schedule and I'm seeing how close we are to the end of the season. And it, just, it feels like it flew by, but it, it's been a pleasure getting to uh, ride it out with you. And uh, we still got more fun basketball to go. We definitely got more fun basketball to go. Let's let's hit some other topics real quick before we get to the meat. Uh, let's see. First and foremost, congratulations to Brianna Stewart of the Seattle Storm, the reigning WNBA Finals MVP. Just signed a multi-year shoe deal with Puma. Um, she joins the likes of Cheryl Swoops, Don Staley, Lisa Leslie, Cynthia Cooper, Rebecca Lobo, your favorite, of course, uh, Nikki McCray, <laughs> Shamika Holesclaw, oh, another one of yours, Diana Taurasi, and Candace Parker as the only women to have signature shoe lines. That's huge, not only for Brianna Stewart, not only for the WNBA, but also for Puma. Yeah, I mean, yeah, shout out to Puma for kind of, they're, they're making a nice little name for itself, and it helps by getting a, a singular town like Brianna Stewart, who, I mean, as you mentioned, I am in incredibly biased over being a, a fellow UConn alum and actually uh, getting to go to school for not talking to her. Uh, the women's basketball with team would not uh, come within 10 feet of me, but uh, nonetheless, I am an ardent supporter. Uh, but Brianna Stewart is truly something special. I mean, uh, she's got it all. Look what she's accomplished in only a short period of time. And uh, I'm actually pretty excited. The, the, the Phoenix Mercury season is about to start. And, uh, uh, Brianna Stewart's come to town very, very quickly, so I'll get to see her, Tarazi, and everybody uh, match out in person, and that's uh, a hell of a collection of basketball talent. Definitely, definitely. I think I'm going to get me, I'm going to cop me a pair of those Pumas and wear them proudly as well. Um, uh, yeah. I've, I've never been a sneakerhead. I think we talked about this, though. We did. We have. Uh, when I, but when I moved out to Arizona, I made myself a two-part promise, right? One, I would wear a uh, Short, pa- uh, short pants as often as possible. No mm. more of this jeans nonsense. And number two, only flip-flops. So I kind of have a Jimmy Buffett beach lifestyle thing going on, and uh, maybe I can add Brianna Stewart shoes into the rotation. We'll see. You know what, Sean? I- I'm-, I'm loving the fact that you changed up the shorts because we need a little sunlight on-, on those legs of yours, man. Oh, it's a blinding pasty white. You're not lying. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, Tim Tebow, there's an uproar that Urban Meyer um, wants to bring Tim Tebow into camp for the Jacksonville Jaguars f- to try to play tight end. Um, I think that that's actually a great move by Urban Meyer. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah, I think 
it's an incredible move. For one, um, Urban Meyer is familiar with Tim Tebow from college. Right. Uh, most importantly, his character, by the way. I want to get that done. If you'll remember, when uh, Tim Tebow was in uh, college, who did Urban Meyer place as his roommate? Do you remember that? I don't remember that. Tell us. Uh, famous serial killer Aaron Hernandez. Oh, see? Uh, and that was done because Urban Meyer, I think, recognized perhaps too late the type of person Aaron Hernandez was, but also the type of person Tim Tebow was. And they, you hope they could have a positive influence. And frankly, for a little bit of time, I, I believe that did happen. Um, it wasn't until the NFL where Hernandez kind of uh, succumbed to his demons. Uh, so I think getting a guy like Tebow, who, Tebow, who is a God-fearing guy, uh, a guy with good head on his shoulders and a great worth ethic will be good for that new locker room. Uh, football talent, though, I'm not entirely sure he still has it, but I recognize he's being paid very, very little to prove that he can. So as a publicity stunt, as a flyer goes, I completely understand. I think where the controversy goes is that everybody is reflecting back to this, um, uh, to Colin Kaepernick, right? Right. Which, uh talks about our uh, our greater cultural issues as a whole, and i just like to point out this fact as uh, non-politically as possible, uh, but this was Colin Kaepernick, this is Colin Kaepernick's pinned tweet right now. Today I'm excited to share that we at Ka- Kaepernick Pub will be releasing our first title, Abolition for the People, the Movement for a Future Without Policing and Prisons on 10 21 This anthology builds on decades of organizing and writing about policing and prisons. Okay, well, I'm not. let's not even dig into the message, mm-hmm. uh, because I think we can both agree that police reform is necessary. Uh, we, we don't need to come up with solutions in a basketball podcast, but uh, that message alone, to me, that doesn't seem like a guy who's solely focused on getting a, a training camp invite. Uh, that seems like a guy who has greater aspirations as a person beyond the football field, and uh, if a guy like Tim Tebow wants a job and a guy like Colin Kaepernick doesn't, I think it's pretty uh, pretty clear don't you so so for me i i can agree with you um in that aspect i think i don't think colin kaepernick wants to play football i think he he has a a greater cause if you will that is not on the football field you know and as we stated yes uh there does need to be some police reform and, and things of that sort and that's off the field stuff um i think that urban meyer you know, I think he trusts Tim Tebow. He knows Tim Tebow very well. Um, t- I, I, lo- I love Tim Tebow, first of all. And, and I think that on the field, he may not or he probably won't have it anymore. Of all the skill positions, though, on the offense, the tight end, I think, is probably the easiest one to play. Um, but I think Tim Tebow will be more of a locker room presence. I think he'll be he'll probably even turn into a tight ends coach one day. Just because of his his worth his work ethic and and the, the way that he carries himself, and I think Urban Meyer needs people that he trusts in that office because of some of the past mistakes that he's made with some of the hires, and I think that um, one Urban Meyer may he may not think before he makes decisions, but I think this decision is more for the the inside the the locker room as opposed to the fans. I, I think so too, and uh, from a sheer football perspective. I, I think we need to recognize who exactly Tim Tebow is in the room with right now. Uh, as it stands, the Jaguars' tight end depth is uh, 
James O'Shaughnessy and Tyler Davis. <laughs> there you go. I'll tell you what. Um, I'm pretty big at football, but those guys didn't touch my fantasy my fantasy football team's roster. Mine either. So I don't think, right. I don't think we can be grudge a guy trying to improve a a position group. And uh, speaking of Tim Tebow again, what I like most is I'm a sucker for kind of redemption story. Mm-hmm. And this is another look at it because I mean Tim Tebow. If anybody doesn't really need redemption, it's him. But if you remember, when it became clear that his quarterback skills weren't necessarily transferable, the Jets tried to sign him to be a tight end. Right. And I think stubbornly he refused to make that transition. And uh, even though it's, uh, what, uh, almost 10 years after the fact, I think he realized the mistake he made and he's humbled himself. He's tried to play baseball. Um, he made uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't make the show. And... Uh, He's going to try to take these chances as long as his body will allow it. I mean, the guy is in his 30s. He's, uh, let me let me figure it out exactly. He's 33 years old, you know. You're not, you don't have that much athleticism in you forever. So uh, why not try? You know, I, I definitely think that. I think that, um, you know, I just think that Urban Meyer is kind of, Trying to get people that he can trust because you have the number one pick in Trevor Lawrence sitting there waiting. And, and who better to mentor? You know, you already think that Trevor Lawrence is going to be an outstanding player. You, you seem to think that he's going to be a great um, person off the field as well. And why not surround him with someone that can be in his here and help teach him the pro quarterback uh, um, game? Not from a, a just playing the game, but from a mentality. And, and who better to do that than Tim Tebow? And I think that was an excellent move. Completely definitely, definitely. Uh, let's talk about some basketball. Uh, first off, five-star basketball recruit Patrick Baldwin committed to Milwaukee of the Horizon League, and he spurned offers from Duke, Georgetown, and Virginia to join his father, Patrick Baldwin Sr., um, who's the head coach there. I think that's amazing. Um, a lot of these players are starting to, to avoid the larger schools and go to the smaller schools for whatever reason. And I think that that's excellent. I'm looking forward to seeing how that works out. No, I mean, I completely agree. I think all we've ever wanted from this process is some form of parody. And the fact that Duke just lost out on a five-star re- recruit to, uh, to Milwaukee is a, is a pretty great sign of that. Especially given that uh, Mr. Baldwin's uh, father uh, has never had a winning record, but I, I like that opportunity. Uh, sorry for the music background. I clicked on the wrong link. Uh, regardless, this reminds me a little bit of what uh, Makura Maker did last year to, right. to go to Howard instead of any of the big schools. And I have no problem with that. You know, if you believe that you're truly one of the best players in the country, then why not put yourself in a situation that forces you to prove that night in and night out? I mean, we look at kids like, let's say, Andrew Wiggins, who uh, went to Kansas, but he was surrounded by, uh, you know, uh, Taylor and Joel Embiid, and all it proved was that he could hold serve, you know? He couldn't necessarily rise above, and there's no better way uh, than a guy like Patrick Baldwin to prove that he is the best of the best than to literally take a program from nothing to something. I mean, if, if he goes to Milwaukee and gets them to the tournament, averages over 20 a game, and, and his job is he's done a great job while boosting his father's uh, coaching career while getting other recruits there, I think that job is done. I think so, too. I don't think there's any question, frankly, that putting up numbers in a place like Milwaukee is probably more valuable than putting up a place, uh, putting up numbers in a place like Duke or, or yep. Kansas. I mean, 
obviously the level of competition at Duke is incredibly impressive, but we're going to remember that Patrick Baldwin's teammates are probably going to be a collection of uh, Juco transfers mm-hmm. and two and three star recruits. Like these guys can play nothing badly to them, but it's, it's nothing like the collection of AAU talent that will uh, follow that would have followed him wherever he went. You know, so so I was an assistant coach at a D two, um, and a lot of bounce backs were coming and on the D two scene. So you'll get a lot of that, uh, or D from the D one scene to the D two scene, and you'll get a lot of that at with teams like Milwaukee or some transfers, and you know what, and say, hey, I want to play with this guy because if he's if he's going to go ahead and, and, and do something like that, then why wouldn't I want to do that as opposed to sitting on a bench uh, and or doing something like Jalen Johnson and leaving Duke early? I'd rather just go to Milwaukee and, and ball out over there. No, I mean, I've kind of thought about this uh, as someone who is pretty untalented athletically. But Oh, Sean, you're great. I was, oh, yeah, video games. Yeah. Uh, if I truly was that, I like to think I'd uh, – I put that challenge ahead of me, you know? Uh, and we, and sports fans, I mean, that hits our base instincts, right? It's right. like uh, Jimmy Butler saying, all of the stars on one side in Minnesota, me and the bench are taking you on. It's like Michael Jordan getting so worked up in practices that he'd lay out Steve Kerr. Like, there's something about the competitive nature that wants greatness. I can't begrudge an 18-year-old kid for looking at his future and say, yeah, it's something about me like the challenge. Definitely, nothing wrong with that. Let's see, the number 13 um, pick in the 2021 NBA projected number 13 pick, Alperin Singen has just uh, submitted his paperwork to make himself eligible for the NBA draft. He is a 6'10 center. He, along with this kid out of Australia, Josh Giddy, he's a 6'8 point guard phenomenon. I think he's Ben Simmons light. Those two guys, I think they have Segan projected for the Spurs. They have Giddy projected to the Warriors at th- at six seventeen. I think those two guys are going to make some some headway in the NBA. Besides the the stars that are in this mock draft or that are in this draft in this loaded draft of twenty twenty one. What you think about that? Oh yeah, I um I think it's in everybody's best interest to kind of uh, learn Josh Giddy's name right now. Um, I kind of started following him uh, because I was watching a whole lot of uh, LaMelo Ball tape right. to try to figure him out uh, leading up to the draft. And of course, I failed at that. Uh, but I made myself a promise that I wouldn't be fooled again, as the who said. And Giddy uh, is something else, man. Six foot eight, 205. Incredible size, wonderful ball maker. I love, it, love his handle. And what he was doing for Adelaide is, is incredibly impressive. Uh, this is a guy who I think a lot of people are going to try to slide into a three-roll, but I'd roll him out as a point guard and just see what happens. And uh, and as you mentioned with uh, with Singen, like we're getting so much better at identify- identifying these guys and knowing when to uh, take a risk on them overseas. Uh, we have video, we have social media, we have more access to tools that just help a scout do their job better. And uh, I would not be surprised to see any of these guys translate well just from what I've watched and knowing that people a lot smarter than me are making these kinds of evaluations and saying, yeah, come over to the States, let's go to work. You know, I, I, I like you said, someone's going to try to throw him into the three-roll. I can see Popovich making him a point guard. I can see him sliding to the Knicks and, and him filling that role very well. Um and, and being able to to continue the progression of the Knicks, 
and I and people need to get their their they need to f- like watch this guy Giddy because like I said I think he's a, a Ben Simmons clone and he is he can move the ball he had his third triple double in a row or something like that the other day and he, I think he's just going to continue to get better. Oh, I agree, and um, I like how the level of competition in the NBL is uh, gradually growing with the level of talent. I think we knew that would be reciprocal, but it helps, and uh, it also helps, I believe, for, for a guy like Giddy to have teammates with some experience uh, and coaches with some experience. His head coach is Connor Henry, a guy who's been around the league uh, a whole bunch. He has a teammate of uh, Brandon Paul, who never showed out in the NBA, but was pretty sensational at the at University of Illinois. And so he's getting the right kind of coaching now, which is letting, uh, and this extends, by the way, to really the whole international basketball community, which helps make that transition so much easier. So um, I think the international class as a whole, whether you talk about Yuzvan uh, Garuba and the like, uh, is, is going to be pretty exciting. Uh, and it's, it's going to be a cool combine process, especially as we get back to normal with the vaccine and everything, mm-hmm. and uh, just get these guys on tape and uh, make our evaluations accordingly. Definitely, definitely. Let's talk about your buddy Kent Bazemore. Uh, Kent Bazemore um, was giving his buddy Steph Curry props on the 49 points in 29 minutes, but he sent a not-so-subtle shot at someone we we don't know who he sent this shot at but he said guys are out there trying to keep up and messing up their hamstrings um and then that prompted a response by bradley bill and bradley bill's wife um pretty much stating hey this that and the other you don't know me blah 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 blah. and i think kent Bazemore was was making a joke and i think sometimes you know in in, in this uber sensitive world that we live in you know sometimes these jokes can kind of ruffle some feathers um who was was kent Bazemore? wrong for saying that was brad bill kind of didn't need to respond to that what's your take on that one i mean let's uh let, let's uh, brad Ken Bazemore is not innocent here uh what we'll say i mean then we got some guys hurting hamstrings trying to give up so y'all <laughs> got to do some research on that okay that's uh what we call a subtweet. uh we can all do our research right uh that being said i love it and I encourage Ken Bazemore to uh, keep it up. Hey. Uh, we need a little craziness. We need a little uh, little attitude. I'm all about the feuds. And let's not think that Ken Bazemore uh, isn't the guy most famous for celebrating with a towel as super- off the bench as superior players go to work. Uh, so if Ken Bazemore wants to be a hype man, then, then dig in, buddy. Keep it up. So, hey. <laughs> Britt Bill's wife, Bill's wife sent a tweet with his stats, you know, and, and pretty much... That was all that was needed from that side, you know. Like you said, Kent Bazemore is a is a is boss is Bill Walton in Boston, you know, waving the towel. Um, or that was maybe that was Larry Bird. Oops, wrong analogy. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, who's uh, the guy on the Knicks right now? Is it Pinson? Yes. Never plays the game, but he's like the greatest locker room guy of all time. He's the greatest locker room guy of all time. Speaking of speaking of the Warriors, they had a nice little run the last couple ga- um, games. They beat top seed Utah, and then they beat uh, number two seed Phoenix. They are getting ready to to get into the play in. Does anyone want to see the Warriors? And in, in, in can they make a playoff run? I mean, it would be uh, irresponsible of us to assume that a team led by Steph Curry could not, right? Uh, look at this team: uh, seven and three over their last ten. They're up to a positive point differential uh, as a season. 
and they are neck and they're breathing down the Lakers next and neck and neck with the Grizzlies for that for that eighth spot. So I think it's very realistic to assume that they're going to get a spot. And then I mean, who are they going to play first round? Right? Maybe right. the Jazz, maybe the Suns, and uh, who are the last two teams the Warriors have beaten? Jazz and Suns. Right. So, uh, I think it should put the fear of the Lord Almighty really into anybody who uh, who underestimates this, because all it takes is Seth Curry to hit one basket and to realize he's cooking, and you've got a problem in your hands. Not to mention the fact that Andrew Wiggins is uh, consistently doing some really nice things defensively and offensively. Uh, 38-7-5, and five, I believe, yesterday. Yep. Uh, effect, I mean, uh, going toe-to-toe with Devin Booker, of all people, Yep. It's very impressive, so I can't say enough good things about the Hall of Fame talent that Curry is, about the coaching job Steve Curry has pulled out of nowhere, and the fact that this team is uh, four games above 500 without a plausible center in the rotation, and a lot of guys who frankly shouldn't be getting minutes playing about 10 or 15. See, and that's my only issue with the Warriors. If James Wiseman was there, then I would say that they would have a better chance. I do think that the Lakers and the Warriors will make uh, the the seven and eight seed, I believe, and here's my take. I think the Lakers want to purposely get the eighth seed, and it's an easier road being the eighth seed because you would have to play Utah first. The Lakers could beat Utah, and then you would play that four or five game Denver Portland. The Lakers could beat both of those guys. Whereas if you're the seventh seed, first you got to play Phoenix. LeBron doesn't want to beat Chris Paul because they're buddies. Um, so I don't want I don't want to be responsible for ending your season early, Chris Paul. And then that third that three six matchup will be the Clippers and Dallas, and that's a harder road than I think that eight seed. So when the Lakers and the Warriors play in that first play in game, I think the Warriors will end up beating the Lakers, and the Lakers will end up picking up that eight seed. I I think so too as well. I mean, I'm having a nightmare of a time trying to figure out what's going on with the Lakers right now, uh, particularly with LeBron. And uh, it looks like Davis is finally starting to pick it up, but that was scary for a little bit. Yeah, it was. Um, I think it would be, uh, what's a good word, uh, foolish of the Lakers to think that they have proven that they can kind of uh, ease their way through the rest of the season mm. and just take whatever playoff spot it comes. Uh, I think they uh, they talked a big game this offseason about getting better, and almost all of their offseason acquisitions have either blown up in their faces or been really a net negative or a net, you know, equal. Uh, and the fact is, uh, relying on LeBron James to come off of about one game of uh, action against the Kings last week, and then if they get him in by the end of the season and an up-and-down Davis, with uh, Alex Caruso and Taylor Horton Tucker to try to neutralize whoever it may be, uh, be it Seth Curry and Draymond Green, be it, be it Luca and Tim Hardaway Jr. Like, it's a very tall order. It's not like you're in the East and you're going to get to play like, I don't know, the Indiana Pacers on a whim. <laughs> no team in the West is just going to lay down and die for you right. because they're LeBron James. So, right. Uh, well, well, I do. I wouldn't take it for granted. I do think that Memphis and San Antonio are, are another year away. They need one more pick um, just to kind of uh, um, continue their maturation. So I do think the the Warriors and the Lakers will uh, get into that seventh and eighth seed. But as far as the Eastern Conference, you know that that play in Boston, who, who is continuing to slide, Jalen Brown, who's out for the season now. Um, 
I think that play-in, Boston may not even make the playoffs, honestly. I mean, they'll play in the play-in, but I think they'll get beat by Charlotte. And then I think Washington will be that second team to make it. if Because Russell Westbrook is just, he and Bill together, I think they got something to prove, man. But just like the Warriors, they don't have that big to, to help them out. No, I, I agree. I mean, we, we should talk about eventually uh, what Westbrook achieved uh he will get a stigma as an empty stat guy, and I think there was some truth to that at points throughout his career, but uh, look no further than what he's doing in Washington, D.C. Uh, frankly, he's the only person in that entire city who's probably producing something positive for this country right now uh, on either side of the aisle, but uh, Westbrook getting that, that achievement, uh, putting him on power of Oscar Robertson is is truly sensational, and my hat's off to him, and uh you look at them going six and four over the last ten, while teams like Charlotte got Lamelo Ball back. Uh, the Bulls went on a brief run, and the Wizards responded by just playing basketball and going to work. So uh, they've done everything they've had to do to qualify for this playoff berth after an insanely bad uh, first half, that really uh, first couple weeks of the season, that caused me to write them off. And uh, my apologies to Beal and Westbrook because they've really turned it around, and it truly is impressive. It, that that's how, it is very impressive. I'm more impressed with Westbrook's rebounding than his assist, um, because for a guard his size to get in there with the trees to grab 10 and 13, 14 rebounds is amazing. Don't get me wrong, 20 assists is amazing as well. You know, and hopefully some of these younger kids that are coming up find pleasure in passing like Magic Johnson and Jason Kidd and those guys, because Westbrook is showing that hey, <clears throat> I can I don't need to score. I can set up everyone. Uh, and I can get in there and, and, and put some muscle around and start uh, grabbing rebounds with these guys. But the upper side, the upper half of that uh, Eastern Conference is really intriguing to me. James Harden is supposed to be coming back soon. Of course, Kyrie Irving took an elbow to the face, but I think that'll be okay. Philly is is get trying to stranglehold that first-round seed. Who in that top six seed, or the top six, Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Miami, and New York, do you not want to see? Uh, sorry, can you repeat that? Who do you not want to see in that top six seed uh, in, in that first round of the uh, NBA playoffs between Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Miami, and New York? I, and I, I think I don't want to, I don't want to overthink this. I think it's Brooklyn. Um, you just, yeah, they've had their ups and downs. Yes, they've barely played a cohesive minute with that lineup, but either way you look at it, you're going to go onto a, a basketball court with one, two, or three of Harden, Irving, and Durant. Ooh. And then you're going to see Blake Griffin off on the sidelines oh. and Joe Harris coming off curls. Oh. Uh, it will, it, it's a nightmare. It's Don't forget about Jeff Green. And our guy, Jeff Green. Definitely. And, uh, DeAndre Jordan and the great Mr. Claxton. Uh, the team's good, right? Uh, let's let's just lay it down there. The team is very, very good, and uh, despite them having a point differential that's worse than Milwaukee or Philadelphia, I uh, I think it would be uh, treacherous to wish for that matchup because you know everybody's got a plan until Mike Tyson punches you in the face. Right. Everybody's got a plan until <laughs> Durant comes off the screen and hits a thirty-five footer. So. Uh, that, that will remain my nightmare matchup until they prove that they cannot translate to the playoffs. The, the fascinating thing about the Brooklyn Nets is they have all those vets, but like you mentioned, one of the young stars and Nick's Claxon, 
uh, well, I won't say star, but one of the up-and-comers in Knicks, Claxon, and Alizé Johnson. Those two youngsters can really learn from those vets, and they'll play vital roles until their contracts come up, and then Brooklyn will have to decide in a few years what to do with that. But then by those time, by that time, KD and Kyrie and, and uh, James Harden will be a little bit older. They, they got some tools there, and, and, and Sean Marks and those guys are doing a fascinating job there. No, I mean, they really are. Uh, we've seen it with these super teams that they really struggle if they don't have even a reliable bench to fall back on. It's like those Miami Heat teams that had, like, the ghost of Mike Bibby uh, and Eddie Curry to try to get minutes. Uh, it's a lot easier to win when you have someone reliable, like, say, a Sean Livingston behind your behind your uh, Curry or when you have even a Tyler Johnson mm-hmm. uh, behind your, uh, or a Bruce Brown behind your Kyrie Irving, you know? So uh, it just helps having that. It really does, where you don't have to put the onus on all of these guys to be great at one time or to play all of the minutes. So uh, it's been a pretty good job of team building in a very short amount of time for Mr. Mark. So uh, there's a reason why he's going to be a favorite for executive of the year. Definitely, definitely. I think that speaking of, of the year awards... Who's your MVP and who's your rookie of the year? I think I still would have to give it to uh, Nikola Jokic, at least in the West. Uh, the fact that this team is hasn't really taken a step back that we thought they would when mm-hmm. Murray went down. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's still their primary playmaker, facilitator, one of their primary scoring options, holding his own defensively, even though it's never pretty. Uh, I say we just let's do it you know um i have a soft spot for uh, uh, what chris paul is doing yep uh he has truly uh improved every aspect of that team and you can see it in the games especially in the games when he doesn't have a shot when he's facilitating and adding an edge and getting in you know taj gibson's face after taj gibson tries to arm tackle him for some reason like yep. there is an attitude out on uh, 333 jefferson out in phoenix that wasn't there before and that's all Chris Paul. Uh, so he'd be an honorable mention, but uh, yes, to, uh, yes to Jokic. Uh, when it comes to the East, I mean, obviously Giannis continues to be incredible, but he's going to have what we call Michael Jordan disease, where uh, people get tired of greatness and want you to keep proving it uh, in the playoffs. And uh, Giannis is going to have to do that. In addition to that, it's, uh, it's a shame Embiid got injured when he did, because he was obviously a heavy favorite as well. But... Uh, talent will out. You know, I'd much rather have a trophy at the end of the year that says championship than I would MVP. So uh, I encourage everybody, even the people who are getting snubbed, uh, to take it personally and to go to work. So I, I think it's, well, this is not a hard decision. I think it's going to be, I think Giannis is going to win it again, honestly. And, and I think this will be the last time he wins it. But I just think 28 a game, you know, uh, 56 percent from the field goal from field goals you know and, and I think that Giannis is just it's just his game is just so so great I love what Joker's doing I love seeing what Michael Porter Jr. is doing by the way um but after you said after the Murray injury Joker just didn't stop doing what he was doing he kept them in that four seed I thought Denver was going to definitely fall off but Joker's been pretty much keeping them there um like you said Chris Paul is doing exactly what he did at OKC um, just helping the young guys learn how to win, and that's going to be valuable. I think if they run into the Warriors, it may be a problem. But at the same time, I think that uh, he is is doing a great job. 
and, and I just don't know of those guys who's going to win the MVP, but I think I got Giannis on that side of it. And it's very hard to look at Giannis' stats in a vacuum right. and say he doesn't deserve it. Right. And, uh, I mean, even look at what I said, right? I said it was a narrative exercise that would take it away from him. And in a perfect world, that's not how awards should go. So if Giannis gets the award, uh, I, I don't think anybody should be like, what is this? You know? Exactly. This isn't a clear-cut thing of, like, you know, Malone getting it over Jordan. Uh, this is Giannis taking a, a team that is about 60% of a new rotation to a 44-25 and 25 record and finishing either in in the top three, no matter what, of the East. So uh, there's, there's no shame in being the Greek freak, uh, a three-time MVP winner. He's just got to translate that into postseason success. But uh, that's not how awards should work, and that's, uh, let's hope they don't, they don't work like that. Did the mellow ball um, miss too many games to um, win the rookie of the year? Is Anthony Edwards just balling as of late to win it out of those two? Who do you think is going to win that rookie of the year? Well, yes and no. Right, I do not believe LaMelo Ball missed too many games. Um, I believe he made a, a pretty impressive comeback. He's had his struggles, but he remains a, an impactor for that team. However, uh, he has run into the fact that Anthony Edwards not just did not just keep playing, but elevated his game mm. uh, to a truly incredible level. Um, Edwards has answered a lot of questions. He has solved a lot of issues, and he's presented himself as a, a guy truly worthy of being that number one pick. Uh, his efficiency has gone up. His scoring has gone up. His decision-making has gone up. If Anthony Edwards remained the player he was in the first half of the season while LaMelo uh, Ball was out, I would say just give it the ball. Uh, that being said, uh, I think Edwards' game has been unimpeachable, uh, and for that, I'd give him the award. With no no hard thoughts to Lamelo, like it's truly unfortunate what happens, but Edwards saw the opening and he uh, he seized it. Definitely, the only I think you're gonna get a co rookie of the year, a la Grant Hill, Jason Kidd, and the reason being is because Lamelo Ball came in from day one, and that that and Charlotte started winning. You know, he took that team with a bunch of youngsters. Uh, Miles Bridges, who's a dunk machine, and P.J. Washington, Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, and all those guys. And I think that LaMelo Ball just kind of took that team by the horns, if you will, and, and they started winning from day one. As far as Anthony Edwards and the T-Wolves, you know, um, first Cat missed a lot of games, and then D'Angelo Russell missed a lot of games. And, and I think Anthony Edwards just didn't have any help at the beginning of, of the season. But as the season started coming back and, and Russell and, and Towns started playing, I think that Anthony Edwards found his niche. And, and I don't want to punish LaMelo Ball for uh, Anthony Edwards' you know, rise in the second half of the season. But then I don't want to punish Anthony Edwards for LaMelo Ball um, being consistent throughout the time that he played. I, I think this is another co-rookie of the year thing because both of those guys are, are doing great jobs. And, and speaking of the T-Wolves, I guess they don't care about that first round pick going to the Warriors anymore because that pick would be conveyed if it falls outside the top three and they look like they're about number six right now. So Minnesota's pretty much like, you know what? Hey, we don't care. We're going to keep going and we don't care about that pick. Yeah. Um, uh, I, they've been through a lot, right? Between mm-hmm. COVID, particularly Carl Anthony Towns, uh, having to uh, slot in a lot of new rotation players 
after a, a pretty quick offseason with no training camp. Uh, Finch coming in, having to uh, work with the previous coach's staff and figuring this thing out. So uh, the fact that we're looking at Minnesota approaching the end of the season and not calling it an absolute disaster that's going to basically hand the Golden State Warriors, Cade Cunningham or Kaminga, oh. one of those guys, uh, that's just an absolute win no matter how you spin it. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm encouraged. Uh, but given Minnesota's history, I'm not entirely optimistic. Uh, but I'm not also entirely down on them, which I would say I was about three to six weeks ago. So it's a pretty cool course correction for, uh, for Minnesota. Oh, uh, you know, those Warriors are sitting there, sitting back, licking their chops and just hoping that they get that pick from Minnesota because right now they're projected to get Scotty Barnes at six. There's your Draymond Green um, um, understudy. And then Josh Giddy at 17. There's your Steph Curry understudy with James Wiseman. That would make for a fascinating future. And you know that the Warriors are just sitting back saying, keep winning, Minnesota. Let's go, Anthony Edwards. I honestly could not imagine a better scenario slash young core for the Warriors than ending up with those three guys because they fit very obvious roles in the current motion system. Uh, they're young enough uh, to really develop together and thrive. And uh, I think it would really, uh, really be a troubling prospect for the rest of the West to have to deal with these guys being understudies for Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Clay Thomason until they're willing to transition into being the starters. Definitely, definitely. They also have Corey Kispert projected to the Kings at 10. If that happens, I love that because I think that he's not Jimmer for debt. You know, <laughs> he's, 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 but I think that he is going to be a great shooter in an offense, um, whatever the Kings do with their coaching going forward. Um, but this draft coming up is going to be amazing. Oh, it is. Um, and we have an amazing March Madness. Uh, we've had a really thrilling international season. Uh, the NBA G League experiment was an unmitigated success. Uh, it's going to be an awesome draft. We're in a really good place, I believe, uh, for the future of basketball with uh, kind of all of these uh, improvements happening organically with development and scouting and just people spreading their wings and going to weird programs like Look no, no, no further than the fact that now Gonzaga is recruiting one-and-done guys to right. go along with their international guys and uh, unheralded recruits. Like, that should put, scare the bejesus out of people. Uh, and then you got a guy, as you mentioned, Corey Kispert, who came from that NBA Mark Few system and only put up, you know, 19 points a game, five rebounds on 53% shooting. You get that guy in the right situation that lets him just play a Joe Harris role. Yep. Uh, he's going to be a problem particularly getting feeds from a guy like Tyree Taliburton. So if that happens, I just hope that the Kings have figured out their coaching, have figured out their development staff, and uh, package these young guys in a healthy environment. Definitely, definitely. Because I feel like with De'Aaron Fox, Halliburton, Buddy Hill, and then whatever, and let's just say Kispert, you've got some nice, you've got a nice four-guard rotation uh, for the next 10 years, you know, and that could be something. It just depends on the coaching and how they develop those guys. Um, one guy I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued about, and I'm sure you're going to have a whole scouting report on him, is, is a kid named James Booknight. 
I think yeah. I think that this kid is gonna fly under the radar and surprise a lot of people. I've been watching a little bit of tape of him putting together some scouting reports, and he's got a little bit of game in him. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, once again, incredibly biased to being from UConn, right. uh, but he comes in that tradition of guys like uh, Jeremy Lamb, who are incredibly skinny, very very long, but just light it up whenever given the opportunity. Uh, he's he's not as humble as Lamb, uh, which is a good thing. Right. Uh, Book Knight knows just how talented he is and is not afraid to show it. Uh, and he's done so largely under the radar because he was in the uh, the Kenzian hell that we call the AAC for uh, too long for one year of his uh, of his college career. Uh, but he went to the Big East and he translated, right? Uh, his field goal percentage went a bit down, but his shot attempts went up by at least two. Uh, he was shooting a little worse from three, but better from the inside. If he can nail a perimeter jumper, then he's a force to be reckoned with. But this guy can just score. He's faster than you think, too. He finds room for him to get his shot off in really crafty ways. Uh, and I think Book Knight's one of, the, one of those guys that falls to like 12 or 13. Uh, finds finds a spot for a team, and sooner rather than later, he's adding some scoring punch off the bench, and everybody's going to say, where did he come from? Well, right. the answer is the University of Connecticut, and the only reason you don't know his name is because he got injured uh, at the end of the Big East tournament, and it took a lot out of him and prevented what I think could have been a pretty good tournament run. So, uh, uh, James Booknight out of Brooklyn, New York, six foot five, one ninety, a lot of a lot of uh, you know strength in that very skinny frame. Definitely, definitely. One, two guys I'm looking forward to seeing at the next level who aren't getting any love: Luca Garza out of Iowa and Herbert Jones out of Alabama. Luca Garza won Player of the Year. Great, big, can shoot the three. Kind of looks like Joker a little bit from when he's shooting those threes. And then Herbert Jones out of Alabama, SEC Player of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year, like a six-eight frame, a defensive lockdown player. They're, 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 they, they have them projected in the second round for both of those guys, which I don't understand. But if you put them in the right environments, they're going to flourish very well. Uh, I mean, if I am Tom Thibodeau and Len Rose and all those guys, I do what I have to do to get Herbert Jones. <laughs> uh, I think Her- Herbert Jones has that uh, attack dog mentality that fits perfectly in the Tom Thibodeau system. We've seen it uh, in guys like Taj Gibson who aren't the longest dudes, who aren't the most athletic guys, but they just go to work on the basketball court. And that's all Herbert Jones has done his entire career. He's been surrounded by recruits who are, frankly, more impressive than him. Right. Uh, Recruited by Avery Johnson. And all he's done is just just flourish. Third-team All-American last year, SEC Player of the Year, first-team, two-time SEC All-Defensive. I do not understand, like you say, other than his measurables, I guess, why he is not jumping off the board at people. And I think it would be incredibly stupid to underestimate a guy of his skill set and not think that that guy can play at least 25 minutes a night for a basketball team. Right. Uh, The same goes for Luca Garza, who, uh, okay, he looks slow and he looks unathletic. But he has the size. He's yep. six foot eleven, two seventy, and all he's done for four years in college basketball is be one of, if not the best player. That the best. He's just 
it's just fundamentally stupid, you know? And uh, I was listening to a podcast on the Chicago Bears last night, right? Let's mm. watch how I work this back in. Okay. And, and they were talking about Deshaun Watson as a prospect and not as the massage enthusiast he is right now <laughs> and Mitch Trubisky. And what they said was they believed that with Deshaun Watson, they looked so long to find faults that they found faults in him that weren't even there. Right. Right? Deshaun Watson uh, took it to Alabama on national television two years in a row, won one of those games, was the Michael Jordan of college football, but something about him, when you watched him long enough, just didn't quite seem to fit. Okay, Luca Garza went from 12 points per game his rookie year, 13 points his sophomore year, 24 points junior year, 24 points again senior year. Learns how to shoot a three by, to a 44% clip by the end of his year. 70% free throw shooter, you can improve that, sure. Almost two assists per game. Nine rebounds a game. Like, what are we doing? If you can't see that skill set as an NBA coach and learn how to implement it, then I'm sorry. You failed your team and you failed this kid because he's proven what he needs to prove. Definitely, definitely. And, we, and back to the Herbert Jones thing. Like I said, he's a lockdown defender at 6'8". And if you're looking at the way that the NBA is going, Jason Tatum and Ben Simmons and Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant and Michael Porter Jr. and Giannis and Luka, and I can continue and continue and continue. You're going to need someone who has the length, or at least some of the length, to defend these guys. You know, um, if you look at what Andrew Wiggins has done over the last few days, you know, his defensive you know, he it's just he stepped up his defense. He was switching on on Chris Paul at one point. Then he went on to Devin Booker at another point. You need those guys, a la Kawhi Leonard, who can move and guard a, a point guard and switch over to a four if he needs to. And and Herbert Jones, I think he's that guy that a lot of teams are going to pass on and they're going to regret it. And like you said about Luca Garza, he has the size. You can't teach that size. You can't teach someone to to be able to step out from a big and switch you know his switching on a pick and roll is a little difficult but that can be fixed and he can shoot like like you said from joker from behind the three if you have a big who can do that it it i don't see why these teams don't look at that and just say oh no he's too slow and he just doesn't fit in or he's too white or something like that I, i don't understand it what bothers me too is uh we all say Oh, he's going to be taken advantage of defensively. Well, here's the here's the, some of the scores from yesterday's games in the NBA. 117 to 112. 119 to 100. 121 to 119. 133 to 104. Well, I'm sorry if Mr. Luca Garza might not help a team carry a... Hold, hold somebody under 105 points. Okay? Let's, right. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Let's do better. Let's do better. Let's do better as a whole. Um, Sean, I think that we wrapped up everything. We're gonna what we're gonna do next week after the play in tournaments, I guess, are over. We're gonna make our playoff predictions. I already have my teams ready. Um and and one lives in LA and one lives in New York for my finals. Um but you might not know you might not think you might not be who you think it is. And I really think that there are going to be some teams that are going to shock this season um, in the playoffs. And I just hope that those things come true. I think so, too. Uh, there's so much parity right now. 
and it's incredibly invigorating to the sport. I mean, you wouldn't know it from the ratings, but I'm, right. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. Yes. Uh, and it's, it's just encouraging to see these guys uh, go to work despite all the circumstances with the virus and the world around them and just putting on beautiful basketball night in, night out. And like you said, uh, basically one week from now, that play-in tournament, anything's on the table. There's no real upset that would take me by surprise. And uh, that's kind of the March Madness atmosphere that we've wanted out of basketball right. for a while. And uh, I think it's going to deliver. Sean, I love the play-in. I hope they keep it. Uh, tell that to Mark Cuban, uh, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, too. I agree, too. It's good. It's fun. Yep. Uh, lastly, uh, you did bring up your your Bears and, and Trubisky. You guys got a quarterback. Oh, my God. I am in I am in seventh heaven right now. Justin Fields. Oh, I'm loving uh, that. I want to tell you, my, my love for Fields has existed for a while. And it started with uh, QB1. Uh, <laughs> Andy Dalton? Way, that Netflix show. Oh, I thought you were talking about Andy Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, not Justin from uh, Richie from yes me. Jake from Georgia. Georgia. Yes. Yeah, and uh, I saw there was this kid uh, on the bench who kept coming in mm-hmm. and really lighting it up like three plays a game. And then the second season of QB One comes out, and sure enough, it's Justin Fields. And this kid is one of those guys who is cocky but backs it up on the field. Yep. Uh, comes from a really good place, I believe, uh, a really great home life, has yep. worked his entire life to achieve greatness has the size, has the package, and he has the factor, right? Like, I watched Trubisky tape and convinced myself to fall in love with him uh, based on, like, one bowl game, the Sun Bowl against uh, Stanford. And you could kind of see it if you squinted your eyes a little bit, what Trubisky could become. Right. Well, the tape doesn't lie about fields. I mean, especially that Clemson game he played with busted up ribs. Uh, the talent is undeniable, and the fact that I went in a 24-hour span from having a quarterback room that depended on Andy Dalton and Nick Fields to uh, Justin Fields, hopefully for the next decade, is, uh, is is really special. And I vow right now to never jinx Fields, never get a jersey, uh, but I will root for him for, with all I got. You know, the thing for me, I look at uh, area, and when I mean that, I say, okay, it's hard to take kids from Sunshine States and put them in cold weather states, except for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Trubisky played in Carolina, you know, that year, and it doesn't snow there. And then you get in, or it doesn't get cold there and, and wind chills there. And I think some of that stuff plays into it. Whereas Justin Fields played at Ohio State, it gets cold in Ohio, just like it gets cold in Chicago. And I think sometimes you kind of have to look at that. I mean, that's probably why I'm not a football GM. But I would look at from the quarterback standpoint, okay, they know how to play when it's raining and snow and sleet and things of that. So that should be able to transition a little bit. Like I said, Aaron Rodgers is a little bit different, sunny California where I am, to go to Green Bay. Um, you know, but I, I, especially when you're holding the ball every play of the game, you know, you, you got to be able to hold that ball and have um, um, time to develop holding the ball because you're going to get a lot of slick balls. And I think that's what happened with Trubisky. And Justin Fields, I think, is a, is a wonderful pick for uh, for Chicago, just like Trevor Lawrence is going to do in Jacksonville. I just don't understand how – I mean, like you said, I'm not a basketball ex- football expert either, but I can't understand how Fields felt like this. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's foolish, and I think it's, once again, reading so far into these guys that you start making up faults that aren't there because Fields, like Luca Garza, right, did nothing his entire college career to prove that he wasn't the quarterback we all thought he was coming out of high school. Right. All he's done is succeed and thrive in less than ideal circumstances. And uh, now the Bears have a quarterback who is that talented who will have a chip on his shoulder, who, if he has any kind of success in Chicago, will effectively be a god to those people. Definitely. Uh, it's, um, I don't think people who are not in Chicago or been around Chicago truly understand when I say this. The two best quarterbacks I have ever watched, I am 31 years old, are Jim Miller and Jay Cutler. Oof. Number three is Mitch Trubisky. Oof. If Justin Fields can be better than those three people, he is at least the second best quarterback in the Chicago Bears history. Okay? Oof. If it happens, it happens. And I wish Fields the best because he won't have to buy a dinner at Portillo's or Lou Maldonado's for the rest of his life. See, and there you go. Hey, Sean, thanks a lot for uh, coming in and hanging out with me today, man. We're going to do this again soon. Um, my favorite quarterbacks were Jim Harbaugh and, and Jim McMahon, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I love McMahon, too, the funky QB. He lives out here, you know. Uh, come down and visit him. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Hey, we'll talk soon, Sean. Thanks again, brother. Absolutely. Take care. All right. Thanks again, Sean, for coming in and hanging out today. Um, we had to cut off some of the end of our, uh, taping because we, (laughs) we kind of delved into a, a a region that can't be put on the podcast, but that's okay. That's between Sean and I, um, hope everyone's safe out there. Everyone continue to love each other. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.